Good Tuesday morning. I'm Jake Sherman, and welcome to the Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. It is Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. Let's get into the mix. Here are your Washington headlines of the day. Number one, inside the progressive dust-up over Ukraine. Number two, examining Drew Ferguson's chances for whip. And number three, Warren and AOC band together on the revolving door. Let's get into it. Apologize for the audio uh, issues yesterday. I think we have those fixed, so thanks for sticking with us. There are 14 days until Election Day. That means two weeks from today, we will have um, uh, Election Night in America, kind of like Hockey Night in Canada, but better. Um, I think we all kind of understand what the polls are telling us, or none of us understand what the polls are telling us. So we'll have to see what what um, we'll have to see what happens in two weeks from today. Remember, we might not know what's going to happen in two weeks from today because uh, it is at least a 50-50 chance, or maybe even better, that the Georgia Senate race goes to um, goes to a runoff between Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker. Remember, tonight is the big debate in Pennsylvania between Mehmet Oz and John Fetterman, the only Senate debate in the Keystone State this entire cycle. They don't anticipate that they're going to be um, they're debating again. So uh, a big night for uh, Pennsylvania and for the Senate and just broadly speaking for the uh, control of Congress. We're starting this morning with this big dust up over Ukraine in the Democratic caucus. Uh, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which is led by Pramila Jayapal of Washington State, sent a letter uh, to Joe Biden yesterday, Monday, to uh, from 30, there were 30 House progressives on the letter. The letter Monday from progressives to Biden said that the U.S. should pair its military and economic support to a proactive diplomatic push, redoubling efforts to seek a realistic framework for a ceasefire. Now, that's not really what the U.S. position is, to say the least. And um, while they while they said they supported Biden's position that it's not America's place to pressure Ukraine's government regarding sovereign decisions, the progressives also called for the White House to, quote, seriously explore all possible avenues, including direct engagement with Russia to reduce harm and support Ukraine in achieving a peaceful settlement. This comes as, you know, Russia is launching drone attacks over um, uh, Ukraine and on Ukraine. Uh, it's a particularly uh, bloody time in Kiev. There's we, there's uh, uh, air raid sirens all the time in Ukraine. So it's kind of a uh, a curious time to release a statement like this. And frankly, the Repo the Democrats felt like they had a head uh, a leg up over the Republicans on on Ukraine since House Major House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who could be Speaker of the House come January, warned to us last week that he will not approve a free blank check for the White House on Ukraine if Republicans win. Biden, of course, pushed back on McCarthy's comments, but the, interestingly enough, Jayapal, hours after her letter was issued, said a second statement clarifying that, if pro that progressives still back Biden on Ukraine. Progressives were, quote, upset and confused over um, over this incident. And one Democrat uh, complained to us, I'm really at a loss why this happened. Mark Pocan, Democrat of Wisconsin, the former chair of this Congressional Progressive Caucus, said on Twitter Monday evening he has no idea was the letter sent since why the letter was sent because it was issued in July. It was written in July, rather. Mark Takano, another, uh, another member of the Progressive Caucus, said it had to issue his own statement regarding his continued support for Biden's policies on Ukraine. Jake Auchincloss of Massachusetts, a former Marine himself, slammed the progressives, calling their letter, quote, 
an olive branch to a war criminal who is losing his war. Um, so let's put this in a, a broader context here. Pramila Jayapal wants to be in the leadership. She's made that clear. Um, people vote, and this is something to keep in mind now as we enter leadership election season. People vote for leadership, members of leadership, candidates for leadership, because they believe the candidate represents their interests and they think that the candidate has good judgment. And in, I mean, this has been Nancy Pelosi's strength for years, right? And, and Steny Hoyer, to some extent, to a large extent, is that um, Democrats trust Pelosi's judgment and Hoyer's judgment and don't believe that they have to watch over them. Jayapal clearly misfired here, and her natural base of support, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, is pretty pissed off, to say the least. So a misstep like this could stick with Jayapal and just important to keep that in mind. Number two story of the day, examining Drew Ferguson's chances for whip. Okay, we've been through all the candidates for whip so far. Uh, Jim Banks of Indiana, Tom Emmer of Minnesota, and we try to lay these out in a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Ferguson, the 55-year-old former dentist, is the chief deputy whip to Steve Scalise. Um, he holds a seat in deep red Georgia. I'm just going to go over here, and you should really read our morning edition this morning because I think we did a nice job laying this out. Um, all of the dynamics that Ferguson is facing. So there's no question based on pure experience that Ferguson is probably has the most natural and normal experience for this job. He is the party's number two vote counter. He has been since 2019. He's, he knows the whip operation in and out. So having a whip who's actually whipped his colleagues, novel, uh, could be useful. Banks and Emmer haven't whipped anything significant before Ferguson has. Um. The chief deputy whip job, which again Ferguson holds, has done a, has been a big springboard for leadership. McCarthy had it, Kevin McCarthy, Denny Hastert had it, Eric Canner had it, Roy Blunt had it. It's it's just tends to be a place where leadership members come from. Ferguson is also doing member meetings. He's meeting with people one on one. Uh, the other two candidates, Tom Emmer is Jim Banks is has a bunch of allies on the outside trying to bloody Emmer. I think that's a risky decision. We're not going to get into that this morning. Um, they're all working hard, but Ferguson's running a normal race, uh, a more normal race than anybody else. Let's just talk about the weaknesses here and then please read our morning edition for more. But Ferguson and McCarthy do not get along. Um, they have beef, and I think this is all locked up in the psychodrama between Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy. Steve Scalise thought about taking on Kevin McCarthy in 2020. McCarthy found out about it. This was a big kind of subtext of our book, uh, The Hill to Die On, my book with Anna Palmer. Um, so McCarthy is not going to be happy if Ferguson wins, and we think McCarthy might actually get involved in this race if Ferguson looks like he's going to win. Traditionally, furthermore, the South is a big base of support for Southerners running for Congress. Ferguson has not locked that up. Um, Scalise was able to lock that up in his successful victory over Peter Roskam of Illinois back in 2015. Ferguson has not locked that up. I, I will say this. This is one of the most competitive and interesting leadership races I've ever covered. I've covered a lot of leadership races over the last 13 years. Ferguson, Banks, and Emmer are all in the mix. I'd say 
Ferguson and is probably trailing a little bit behind Banks and Emmer. But I think anyone could win this race. It'll be interesting to see now that the Trump world is involved in this race, whether it impacts Banks or Ferguson. I think it could. Um, sorry, Banks or Emmer. I think it could. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it just it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Number three story of the day is a great item from our, our own Brendan Peterson. AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Elizabeth Warren, Democratic senator from Massachusetts, has written a letter to pretty much every major federal financial regulator uh, complaining about the influx of former public servants into the crypto sector. Uh, there have been more than 200, as of February, government officials that have moved between public service and the crypto firms, they write. Uh, and this is this could be an outdated number. Uh, Corey Gardner is now the, the head of strategy for the Crypto Council for Innovation, which just registered to lobby. You know, listen, crypto is only the re- most recent target here. Um, the uh, uh, people move between government and private sector all the time. Not saying it's a problem, not saying it is it, it, it isn't a problem. Um or it is. I'm just suggesting that this is a this happens all the time. Now, this is a new frontier crypto, which is why we're face, we're playing uh, we're spending a lot of time playing in this space, reporting on this space, very deeply reporting on this space. Um, but it's important to note that this is something that is getting more and more attention uh, now that crypto is getting bigger and bigger. And with that, leave us a rating and review. You could subscribe to Punchbowl News at punchbowl.news. Have a wonderful day and stay safe.